just want to thank you, man, so much for being here, um, for, for our guests and for people who are here. Man, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for you, and I believe God's got something truly special for you. And so just to kind of bring us to where we are this morning, we've started our fall series called Working from Victory. As we walk through the book of James, seeing what God's got for us in this book, working, moving, walking faithfully from this perspective of victory that Christ has ensured for his people. And so I want to pray for us this morning before we continue in. And um, man, just just asking the Lord to just speak to us this morning. I don't know what you come in with. Uh, if you're anything like me, you come in with some junk from the week, right? I mean, our weeks are hard. Our weeks are busy. Our weeks are just jam-packed, whether it's work stress, family stress, just life stress in general. And I, I pray this morning that we can allow some of those things to settle to the bottom as we just raise up and see what God's got for us this morning. And so I'm going to pray. I'd ask you to bow your heads and pray with me this morning as we ask God to kind of speak to us through his words. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that in our weaknesses and in our distractions, God, and in the places where we find ourselves so often, Lord, that in this moment right now, Father God, we just settle into who you are. God, that you are worthy. God, that you are just glorious, God, and that you have a plan prepared for your family, for your people, God, that can pull us through any difficult situations, any hardships, trials, difficulties that we walk through from day to day. Father God, I pray that as we get into your word this morning from your, your word and from the book of James, God, I pray you speak to us the truths we need to know, God, and the encouragements we need to have as we step out of this place this morning and continue to be the church outside of this building. Father God, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, you can turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, and we're going to continue in James chapter 1. And so the first week we were in this series, we, uh, we, we spent 35 minutes on one verse uh, talking about what it means to walk, uh, begin this faithful walk as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian living this life. It begins from this place of humility. And, uh, and that's where anything we do, and, and you'll see this common thread as we move through this, this idea of humility and how we perceive that and how we step into that. And so, and then last week, um, last week we, we continued the conversation, but specifically we kind of settled into the idea of our trials and our, our difficulties and, the, and just life. Like we've talked about, man, life is tough. Life is difficult. We have situations and hardships that come across that we come across every week, every day of our life. And so we, uh, the, the sermon in a sentence last week, kind of the idea that we, we wanted to leave with was when life presses against us. When life presses against me, it is not meant to overtake me, but propel me into strength and maturity. And so we can see from a certain perspective how God uses our difficulties to propel us into maturity and strength to be able to walk more boldly in this life that God's called us to as Christians, as believers, that He uses even the worst of situations in our life to make us better. But that only comes when we are depending on Him and that He grows us and that He molds us and He does those things in the midst of trials. Because I don't know if you're anything like me and my difficulties. I feel like I'm drowning. I don't feel like I'm making anything of it. But in Christ, I can know that in Him, that He is making my difficult situation something for my benefit. And so this morning, we're going to continue on. And, and I said in the beginning that our, our constant kind of theme, this idea to working from victory, to walking faithfully in our life is, is, is really dependent on our perspective and that we decided that our perspective determines our progress. So how we walk in our life is dependent on our perspective of life, of Christ, of ourself and who we are before a holy God and those type of things. And so this morning, 
I want to speak about our perspective a little bit as we kind of get into, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 is what we're going to read this morning. But, you know, I want to speak a little bit about our perspective because for me, something that I've realized this week and something that I've realized kind of moving through life, and I believe you've realized it too, is that our perspective is constantly under attack right? The way we perceive things is always under attack, whether it's the way we perceive uh, the government, whether it's the way we perceive individuals, whether it's the way we perceive each other, whether it's the way we perceive certain races, certain cultures, certain people and certain lifestyles. We are constantly attacked at the way that we perceive certain things, okay? And our perspective is constantly under attack. And, um, you know, specifically, being in a difficult world that we live in, our perspective being a huge deal for how we move, how we progress through our life. And, and one of the biggest ways that I believe that our perspective is influenced or the, our perspective is attacked, uh, and, and it's not even necessarily a bad thing when used intentionally, um, but one of the biggest ways that our perspective is attacked is through social media, right? We live in a media age, and, and the biggest thing, probably, if you looked at your phone, I love this, like, um, if, if you have an iPhone, the new feature, it shows you, like, how much time you're spending on certain things. Um, it, you know, if, if you wanted to know how much time you spend on social media, those type of things, look at it. Uh, if you have that device to be able to look at that. But one of the biggest ways our perspectives are attacked, or the way that our perspectives are, 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 are drawn, is through social media. And like I said, social media not being necessarily a terrible thing. Us as a church, we use it greatly. Uh, man, praise God whenever we sent that post for people to just be rallying up in prayer for Lawton. I think it had over like over 16,000 encounters with people. I mean, that's just unreal. But that's the kind of scope that social media can have when it's used to intentionally. It's used for its purpose. But there can be a way at which social media attacks our perspective on things. Okay, and, and some of the things that, that have kind of developed in the last few years as social media has kind of taken a forefront is that people, they've realized and they've come to conclusions that social media is one of the leading causes of anxiety and depression and loneliness in individuals. Because we look at it. We look at it and what, what we're doing is we're evaluating, not only are we evaluating people, are we taking in information, a lot of times unfiltered information. I think one of the most dangerous things is to put something before us that we can send out to the world without thinking about it very much, right? Because especially in those times of anger or frustration, we're just we're tapping our screen so hard we're almost breaking it and then we send something out into the world. And then it's there for people to read. And we didn't have anybody proofread it. We didn't have anybody tell us, hey, maybe you need to calm down a little bit before you put this out there. And so there's a lot of these things that we put out there and there are negative effects on us. And, but there are studies that show uh, this proportionate effect of increased use of social media and increase in mental health issues like depression, anxiety, and our, the generation, the young generations growing up are having to navigate through some of these things. And... Um, and one of the biggest things is this idea, uh, this phrase that's kind of come into existence since about 2004 was the first time it was, it, was, it was used. And you may have used this word, you may have heard it before. I'd never heard it until recently, but it's the word or the acronym FOMO, right? I don't know, anybody ever heard that acronym before? Probably not, but it's this idea of FOMO. And what FOMO stands for is it is the fear of missing out. It is the fear of missing out. And this is, this is one of those things that started out kind of as a slang thing, but this is actually something that's been entered into the dictionary now. It is something that we recognize as a legitimate thing that people experience, that, that we experience, and maybe we're not even rec recognizing it or acknowledging it. It's this fear of missing out. 
It's that if I'm not looking at something, actively look at some event's going to happen without me knowing about it, or I'm not going to be able to put something out there for someone to see to know that I've done it. You know, I feel like sometimes people believe, like, if, well, if I don't post it on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, it really didn't happen. So I have to make sure I get it out there so it legitimizes the activity that I've done. And so it's, it's this idea that I'm going to miss something. Okay, that's what draws us into these things, social media, the news, all this stuff, is that it's this fear of missing something. Fear of missing something that's vitally, we think is vitally important to us, or that's something that we need to, to hold on to or to know. And, and in reality, what it is, this fear of missing out, is it's us wanting to be in the know and wanting to be known. Right? This, that's what it's all about. That's really what, in a lot of ways, what we use social media for, to be in the know and to be known. We want people to know who we are and the things that we do, and we want to know about what they're doing. We want to know about what's going on. Because, uh, Lord forbid, that something happened and us not know every detail of that situation, right? When 10 years ago, 20 years ago, us, even like back in our MySpace days, I mean, we didn't, it, it was just different. You know, I don't know, most people, I don't know if y'all remember MySpace or not, but, you know, that was, that, it was just a different time. But, as we kind of step into faithful living, as we step into walking faithfully, you know, isn't this, isn't this the idea? Isn't the idea of missing out, this fear of missing out, isn't it the idea that the serpent whispered into Eve's ear in the very beginning? Like, you, you deserve that, right? You should have that. You should want that. You should, you, should, you should experience that. Like, you're missing something. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, you need that. And so from the very beginning, the, the enemy has pulled us into this idea, this fear of missing out or this fear of not knowing or not being known. And so this morning, as we step into the text, I, I want us to really focus in on the, uh, this idea that the enemy has drawn us into, that the enemy uses against us. And I believe, and, and I'm not going to harp on this anymore after this, this, but this, what social media and news media and all these things have done to us, and is it's brought us into this fear, this fear of living in this constant state of comparison. Okay, this constant state of comparison. And if I had to title this morning's message, I would title it this, being a captive to comparison. Being captive to comparison. Because this is what the enemy's done to us. He's drawn our eyes away from things that, like Paul would say in Colossians 3, 2, to set your mind on things that are above and not on the things on earth. And so what we do is we get so fixated, especially while we're using social media and these other things, if we're honest with ourselves, what are we doing in those things? Most of the time we're comparing ourselves. We're looking at their life. We're looking at their experiences. We're looking at their circumstances, situations, their, their accomplishments, their families, their looks, their, their vehicles, their houses. Like We're looking at all these things and we're thinking to ourselves, man, I want that. I need that. I deserve that. I should have that. You know, We're thinking of all these things. And what it's doing is it's tearing us up inside and it's motivating our decisions. It's motivating the way we live. It's giving us anxiety. It's making us feel like we're not good enough. We're not accomplishing enough. We're not doing enough. I mean, churches even do this. I, I've even been doing ministry. There's been times before I've thought like, man, I want, I want to do that. Why are, why are we doing that? How am I not accomplishing that? You know, like all these things. Like we just are constantly comparing ourselves to other people in other situations. And, and I believe, and what we'll see this morning from the text is James is drawing our eyes away from that. To be able to walk faithfully, to live faithfully, we've got to stop looking at other people in other situations in, in a negative type draw but for something bigger. And if I could define our sermon this morning in one sentence that I want you to be challenged with and walk away with this morning, it's this. is to don't let comparison keep you from faithful living. 
Don't let comparison keep you from faithful living. And James brings us to focus on this state of comparison. And he, he lays before us two different types of people and how they walk and how they live. And, and, and he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about them, but the way that he talks about them can let us know how we navigate. Specifically, remember last week we talked about trials. And so this is kind of, he's talking about them in the midst of these trials and the difficulties. But how we walk away from, fight the draw to comparison and to walk faithfully into who Christ has called us to be as individuals in our lives. So read with me in James chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Let's read this together. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers the grass. Its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning, the, 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 there's that, and I believe in what we'll kind of see as, as comparison all in all doesn't have to be a bad thing, but there's two different types of comparison. And the first comparison I want us to see this morning is corruptive comparison. A comparison that corrupts us, a comparison that erodes us from the inside out and destroys us and keeps us from walking in the life God's called us to, the faithful living that he has for us and for our families as individuals and as people. And so uh, we see James here in verse 9. He lays out these two individuals. He says, the lowly brother and the rich. Two different experiences, two different lifestyles, two different social statuses, two different places in culture, two different perspectives. And so as, uh, as James talks about this, what he's doing for these individuals is he's pulling their focus, not from comparison. He doesn't want them to compare themselves to each other. And what he's even doing is he's, he's bringing them to celebrate in a couple of th- uh, the two things that are going on in their life. He's calling them to see their poverty as exaltation and to see their plenty and, and for him to not look at his plenty, for the rich to not look at his plenty and, and that he should be standing and faithfully working and walking on the Uh, the foundation of Christ. And so he's pulling their eyes away from their poverty and their plenty. He's pulling their eyes away from each other and he's focusing them in on, because what does he continue and say? He says that these things will fade away, that the things we have in this world, the things we hold as important and valuable, that these things will not last. And that it says that the rich man or the person seeking these things, they'll be lost in his pursuits. And so there's a lot of things that he says there that that are wasted comparisons, that are wasted pursuits. And so for us in our life, as we as we evaluate corruptive comparison in our life, the thing that we have to understand, church, the thing that we have to understand in our age of comparison, there's a there's a danger that we find ourselves in. And that comparison, comparison, the root of comparison comes from pride. And pride in itself is competitive and it is sinful. Okay. Pride pits us against each other. Pride by nature is comparative and competitive. And so when we are comparing ourselves in this corruptive way, it's coming from this place of pride. It's coming from this place of competition where it's not only that I want to have the best, but I want to be the best. I want to have better. I want to, and that's where we, a lot of ways where our comparison can be corruptive to our hearts, to our souls, and to our, our, lives, our, our lives and our families is when we're not only just looking at people and evaluating who they are and what they've done, but we're evaluating 
celebrating that in comparison to who we are and wanting to one-up that. Because within our being is built-in selfishness, right? And we've talked about this before. We can see that from our kids and from individuals. You know, this, this natural state of pride, selfishness is built up within us. And so when we begin to compare to each other from this place of pride, this place of corruptive comparison, this type of comparison will keep us from walking faithfully in the life that God has called us to. Because like I said, what it does is it pits us against each other. Because if I want to be better than someone else, it's hard for me to be invested in someone else, right? That I can't have good relationships with people if I'm constantly trying to be better than them. Trying to compare myself in this way that I'm competing with them. Because the reality is corruptive comparison motivates competition, not cooperation. You know, and really we can see that as big as, say, on the... the, the scale of Christianity where we're living, we as churches are, are so prone to walk and talk in this way of comparison and, and competition where we say we want to see kingdom work done, but what we're really doing is trying to just better our own and make our own buildings look nice and our own staffs and our own uh, congregations. And so, you know, this is our draw. And this is the corruptive comparison that does not lead to faithful living, but it actually cap it keeps us captive from faithful living. Because we're competing, we're working against this idea of, of why don't I have? Why can't I do? Why do they have? How do they do this better? Why does this look better? Uh, I can't do that like they can, or I can do that better than they can. You know, it's these thoughts that run through our mind. And like I said in the beginning, a lot of times these things stream from social media where we're just flying through. And then like we said a couple weeks ago, you know, we... we, we we never see the chaos, right? The honest pictures or the honest posts. Uh, a lot of times it, it, we try to pretty it up. And not to say that there's not a time and place for that. But, but in reality, when we're looking and we're comparing our lives in these uh, competitive ways, it is just corrupting us. It's creating, it's, it's welling up this pride within us that is pitting us against other people and the people in our lives. And what it tends to do, what it wants to do is it not only neutralizes us as individuals when we are being corrupted by this competitive comparison, but it also, it destroys our faithful community. It can, this can be the very essence that destroys individuals within a church and relationships within a church. This can destroy marriages when we walk and talk in this competitive comparison type way where we're trying to one-up each other and not be a unit that is, is complementing each other but comparing and competing with each other. And so this not only destroy the faithful community of believers, it can destroy our faithful working as individuals as we try to strive and be Christians. You know, and, and even in a way where, as for me as a Christian, if I'm discouraged or disgusted because I'm not as good as someone else, maybe, quote unquote, as a Christian, that I don't feel like I'm doing as good as them. And so that can hinder me. That can pull me back. You know, if I'm approaching it in this prideful way, and we'll kind of talk how that can be, how that can be approached in a better way later on, but, but how that destroys us. How, I mean, I know individuals in my life who, man, they, they know they fail, they know they struggle, and they know they can't do it as good as some of the quote-unquote Christians can, and so they just bail out completely. It just neutralizes them. The enemy tells them, you'll never be good enough. You'll never do this good enough. You'll never match up. You'll never compare to so-and-so down the street or so-and-so in the other pew next to you or so-and-so that's leading worship. You'll never be as good as them or be a, a, a stronger Christian as them. So why even try? It's these whispers of pride that the enemy throws into our ears. 
to tear us apart. Because the thing is that our living isn't to be better than others. It's, it's not for us to be cramming ourselves even into someone else's mold, but instead embracing the individuality of our unique making by our Creator. Romans 12, 6, he says, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. These gifts, the, and, and, and gifts not only being our talents, but gifts just being the very essence of who we are. We're just different people, and that's good, and that's okay. And how we live. I love the way another version said it. It said it like this. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body. Let's just go ahead and be what we are made to be. Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Church, the biggest thing in not falling into a corruptive comparison is having a firm grasp on our identification. The way that leads us away from corruptive comparison is having a firm grasp on the identification of myself as a believer in Jesus. Having that firm foundation, as we've sung about this morning, building our life on something bigger and better than trying to be bigger and better than everyone else. Trying to compare and trying to look and feel bad about or shame my accomplishments or shame my family or shame my job or shame my vehicle or my house because it's not as good or big or better than someone else's. Or even shaming my walk as a believer because I'm, I'm, I'm not as accomplished as someone else. You know, and I'll say this, she'll probably kill me, but uh, every once in a while my wife will ask me, well, what's, what are you preaching on? And then I'll tell her, and then uh, a lot of times I'll tell her, and then she'll go listen to someone else. And I'll tell her, please don't listen to anyone else uh, preach this message because it's not going to match up to that level. But, you know, that's just that insecurity within me, you know, that pride within me that, that speaks that. Because Lord knows I can't say it like John MacArthur can. So, I mean, just, you know, uh, these things that well up from within us. And so uh, for us to have a firm firm grasp of our identification. You know, because the reality is when Paul, and I'm going to have several verses from Corinthians this morning, but when Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth, he's talking to a divided church. He's talking to a church that is trying to one-up each other, that some of them are saying, well, I follow Paul, well, I follow Apollos, well, I do this, I was baptized by him, I was baptized by him. So they were trying to always constantly one-upping each other with this pride and this selfishness within them. And Paul is constantly trying to speak into that division. And some of the things he says, one thing is this. He says, for you are still of flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among among you, are you not of flesh and behaving only in a human way? So as Christians, you know, as, as the Spirit of God dwells within us, that is not what He draws us to, this jealousy, this uh, selfish conceit or ambition that, that we find ourselves in, this comparison, this strife. Uh, but He says that that, that that is the human side of us. That is the flesh. That is the sinful side of us that corrupts us, that brings us to this place of comparison that, that eats at us. And I love, you know, when Paul lays this out, I mean, when uh, James lays this out, he says the rich and the poor, you know, the, the one with poverty and the one with plenty. You know, he is saying that there is no condition of life that puts us out of the capacity of rejoicing in God. You know, he says that, that, that any place that we are in our life as a believer, we're there by grace. That God has provided a way. That God has been there in the midst of that. That God has, that if you've been made lowly, you've been made lowly by grace. And if you've been made humble, if you've been made rich, you've been made by grace. Then it's not boasting in what I have, but it's boasting in where God's allowed me to be. And if God sees fit to put me somewhere else, then I, I embrace that because I, it's, I'm there by grace. That I have to believe if God's, like we talked about last week with trials, if God's allowed me to go through something or be somewhere, it's because He sees a reason for me to be 
be in that place and that there's no hurt that's wasted. There's no situation that's wasted. There's no experience in our life that is wasted, that God uses those things to grow us and to build us into something better. And the reality is, the beautiful thing that we celebrate, and I believe the church's responsibility is to make this known, is that the gospel has a leveling effect. The gospel levels us out. That, that there, is no, there is no rankings, there is no hierarchy in heaven. That, and then God says that when our prayer is, let your kingdom come now, let your kingdom be here now. And so if the local church is supposed to be a manifestation of God's kingdom, he says when we gather into this place, the gospel levels us all out. You know, and specifically, when Jesus and his apostles are in Jericho, they, see, they meet this man called Blind Bartimaeus. And then they also meet a rich man named Zacchaeus. What do they say to Blind Bartimaeus there in Mark 10? They tell Blind Bartimaeus to rise up. And they tell Rich Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree, they tell him to come down. Right? So the gospel has this leveling effect where it doesn't matter who we are, where we are, what we've accomplished, or what we've done. The gospel levels those things out. And so for us, there's no reason for us to compare ourselves to other people in that way. Trying to be better than them. Trying to be more accomplished than them. Because what he wants us to do, he wants the poor to forget their earthly poverty and the rich to forget all their earthly riches. Because that's not what the point is. Because the reality is, the thing that we have to understand is that Jesus did not die for our physical prosperity. He died for our eternal security. Jesus died so that we could know we were his. He did not die so that we could have more and be more successful and have, have perfect health. Because the reality is we live in a broken world and those things will, we will experience those things. And praise God when he heals us of those things and he chooses to do that. And praise God when he chooses to give us that job that we needed and he chooses to give us stability and security in those things. But Jesus did not die for those things. He died so that we could sit in here and go to our homes and go to our workplaces and confidently stand in the security of knowing that I am a child of God and it doesn't matter where I am or what I've done that he still welcomes me to his table that's what Jesus died for he, he died for that confidence he didn't die for this corruptive comparison that we find ourselves in because corruptive comparison tempts us it draws us away it brings us to sin and it pulls us away from God's invitation to maturity and provision in our life you know as Paul speaks to a divided church in, in 1 Corinthians 4 3 he says but with me it is, very, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I love that verse because Paul looks at these three different levels of people. He says, look, I, I'm not judged by you. I don't get my comparison from you. I don't get my satisfaction from you. I don't get my, my fulfillment as a believer in Jesus from you. He said, and there's no human court. It doesn't, he's not saying that we're not held accountable for the things that we do wrong. Uh, he's not saying that at all. But he's saying that there's no gathering of people that judges me. And that I love that because the thing he says, and I think the thing we need in our culture even today about uh, self-help, self-love, all those things, is he tells us, he says, that I don't even judge myself. Because the reality is, even when we try to fool ourselves into thinking, we can encourage ourselves to think that we're good enough, that I, I'm better than I think I am, I'm all these things, we'll constantly feel ourselves falling short of that. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we spend more time telling ourselves how rotten we are and how much we'll never accomplish the things we want to do and how much we'll fail more than we spend time encouraging ourselves, right? And so he says, he says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even compare myself to myself because I'm not a good comparison. I'm not a good place to, to start at. 
Man, praise God that Paul is speaking that into this family, into this church as they're divided and comparing themselves to each other. And he says, hey, I don't even compare myself to myself. Because you know what I'm going to say to myself? I'm never good enough. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to do it. The second way that we can compare, and I believe that, that not all comparison is bad, because in reality, in reality, we function in our day-to-day life. We grow as children. We do all the things that we do in our life, in reality, by learning, by comparison. So I believe not only is there a corruptive comparison, but the last thing this morning, that there is constructive comparison. But there's a different approach when we are comparing in a constructive way. He's speaking to the church of Corinth again in 2 Corinthians 10, 17 through 18. He says, Let no one who boasts boast in the let the one who boasts, sorry, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who, who the Lord commends. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. Comparison can be constructive when our comparison is not competitive. When it is not matching ourselves to try to be better than those around us. And it's this idea that comparison not coming from pride, but this comparison coming from humility. Because comparison coming from humility is encouraging and it's impactful and it directs us in a way where we're not trying to be better than anyone else. In reality, if Jesus is our example, our comparison by humility will lead us to servanthood. It will lead us to laying ourselves down before our brothers and sisters, not trying to step on their shoulders to be higher than them, but to put ourselves intentionally below them. And Jesus said this. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so he's speaking this right as he has served his, his, his apostles. He has just loved on them, just given himself, uh, just put himself as a servant for them. And so Jesus says, if you're going to compare yourself to someone, you want someone to be your example, compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to me. Let me be your motivation. Let me be the thing that you're drawing satisfaction and and direction from. And then he says, uh, and 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 Paul says in Ephesians 1, 2, to not only be comparative to that, but imitate that. Therefore, in Ephesians 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's calling us to be imitators. So not only are we comparing ourselves to the Lord Jesus, in his servanthood, and in, in trying to live and in, in, in pursue his holiness, pursue his righteousness, and not that we'll ever accomplish it on our own, but as far as the living, as far as the walking, he says, walk as I walk, live as I live, in the way that you not only worship God, but how you love people. And so he says this, to, then not only for us to do that, but then to be imitators of that, so that we can live, we see the constructive comparison coming when he says, you imitate it so that others are affected by it. You know, as parents, uh, he calls us to be imitators. In Proverbs 22, 6, he says, Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so we as parents, we are commissioned to imitate so that our children can compare to us and that they will walk according to us and how we live. And that doesn't mean that we're always perfect because part of that is communicating to them, Hey, mom and dad are not perfect. And so part of them comparing themselves to us is comparing themselves and imitating also 
where we fail and how we repent and how we confess before the Lord and our brothers and sisters when we, when we need to do that. Not only as parents, but also just as Christians into the lost world around us. He says, 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among Gentiles who are those outside of the, the, the people of God. He says, uh, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he says that if we live a certain way, comparing ourselves to the Lord, following his example, that it will not only, when people speak evil of us, it will not only change their minds about us, but it will change their minds about who God is. He's called us to this constructive comparison. And then the last thing is to each other. In Philippians 3.17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Church, there is encouragement we can find from looking for and looking at Christ-like characteristics and other, other individuals. So, so hear me say this morning, there is not a problem, there is not a, a problem in comparing ourselves to other people for a constructive matter. For a constructive sake, there is a problem when we're comparing ourselves to other people that is corruptive. When we're trying to be better than them or we're discouraging ourselves, we're, we're, we're discouraging ourselves by saying we'll never be good enough. We're hearing the whispers of the enemy tell us we'll never accomplish what they've accomplished or do what they do. That's not what the Lord's calling us to in this constructive comparison. He's called us to be encouraged, be challenged, be driven and motivated by people. I mean, that's the only reason. I mean, I, I thank God for the godly people that the Lord has put in my life, that they're not perfect people, that they're people who always have strive to walk holy, godly lives. And you know what? They fail and they fall short and they repent and ask forgiveness for those things. And I learned from that also because the Lord knows I'm not perfect. But I pray that if God can use my, my frail, uh, faithful walk to encourage or lead somebody else, then God, so be it. He's called us to that comparison that we can be a, a, the, a place of comparison for someone else to find encouragement, to find, a, to find a, a challenge to walk godly in their life, to find a challenge to be a more godly father in their life, godly mother in their life, a godly whatever. You know, God has, has called us that we can walk in this idea of holy imitation. You know, that it's not about cramming yourself into someone else's mold, but it's about recognizing Christ-like principles in people and, other, and, and, and using it to walk, by, by, walk in life and be challenged and, and empowered to seek that for yourself. We can be encouraged and challenged by each other. And it's not about making us identical, but it's about training us amid, amid diversity to walk together. So there is that constructive comparison. And so this morning, just to end out, I want to just lay four things before us this morning that I, just, just in prayer and just kind of seeking, you know, God, how do we combat corruptive comparison in our life? You know, how do we combat that? How do I keep myself from, you know, how do we keep ourselves from looking at social media and being discouraged because we don't have or don't look like or don't accomplish what these individuals do or, or, or how to, in the church or in my world, in my workplace, how would I keep myself from this corruptive comparison. And I just want to leave us with these four things this morning that we could try to walk by and seek in our life to avoid the corruptive comparison that we can so easily fall into that leads us to anxieties, that leads us to pushing people away. Because the reality is, whenever we're living by competitive comparison or corruptive comparison, it, it will never allow us to have true relationships with people. Because every time we walk into those relationships, we're evaluating them, we're, we're critiquing them, we're, we're, we're just being critical of them, and in the midst of that, being critical of ourselves. You know, and so we, we want to push away corruptive comparison. 
We want to push that away. And here are four things, church, that I pray that maybe we could do to avoid this comparison. And the first thing, church, is to acknowledge the focus of your comparison. You know, is, your compar- is our comparison competitive? Am I comparing them because I'm wanting to be better than them? Am I comparing them in a way that I want to be, uh, see their faults and their failures or even my own failures and faults that I'm seeing what I'm doing wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm not being as good as them or I'm be, I am being better than them and so I'm trying to elevate myself above them? Or is your comparison to look better before others? Or can our comparison be to learn from Christ and those who show characteristics of faithful walking? to empower my working, to empower, to allow me to work from victory, to allow me to walk faithfully. You know, acknowledge the focus of your comparison. Why are you comparison? What's the intention behind your comparison? The second thing is to admit the sinfulness of your comparison. That is, is pride at the basis of our comparison? Do we find value in just being better than others? Is it, is, is it this captivity to mediocrity that I'm not being challenged by my comparison and I just want to be better than them? You know, that can be sinful. If we're sitting in our life, well, I'm just doing better than them, so I'm good enough. So that is coming from this place of pride. That is corruptive comparison. You know, that we acknowledge the sinfulness of that. That we acknowledge that, that it's not okay, not good enough for me to be fighting just to be better than someone else. Remember, competition does not influence or bring about cooperation. Is our comparison leading us to serve others? Is our comparison neutralizing us in fear and inadequacy? No, acknowledge the sinfulness of our comparison. The third thing is remove the temptation. Remove the temptation. And being honest with yourself, is social media fueling your captivity to comparison? Is it, is it giving you that? Is it, is it giving you this, this building up within you, this pride that's not just trying to be better than someone else or even the pride to think that even as a child of God that I'll never be as good as, as I believe God wants me to be? Is it social media? Is it certain TV shows, reality TV shows, these, all these things that just put people up on this pedestal of perfection and, and, and this expectation of this is how life looks and this is who life is and this is what you do. This is what you want to be. You know, Acknowledge, remove those temptations, being honest with yourself if those things are drawing you into that. Is your use of these things empowering you into faithful living? Or are they drawing you into this corruptive place of comparison that is destroying you? And the last thing this morning, church, the main thing I want us to to find ourselves at is to remind yourself of God's truths. Remind yourself of God's truths and this will combat the corruptive comparisons in our life. Preach the gospel to yourself. You know, I love it that our kids right now are learning the memory verse and I pray that you're helping them learn it because it'll be a great truth for them to learn. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel into a few words packed in that our kids are learning right now and I believe for us as adults as we compare ourselves to each other as we compare ourselves to whoever that we would be preaching the gospel to ourselves that as a child of God I would know that Jesus Christ came because I am a sinner repenting of where I fall short but not depending on myself for anything further that I'm depending on the Lord Jesus because he came and he died for me he gave his son for me so that I could have 
everlasting, eternal life, never ending, never changing, that when I am a child of God, there is nothing the Bible says that takes that away from me. There is nothing that there are some, there are some places, some denominations that may tell you, hey, you can take yourself out of the hand of God. I'm going to tell you right now, per God's word, you cannot take yourself out of the hand of God, no matter how stupid you are, no matter any bad decisions you make. Don't let that pride of thinking that you're strong enough to pull you out of God's hand keep you from walking faithfully. God says nothing can pull you from his hand. When you were there, nothing can pull you from his hand. Preach the gospel to yourself and understand that no matter the season you're in as a child of God's, you are his. You are his. That there is a spot at the table for you, a reservation made just for you. And he's invited us to rest in that. To stop comparing ourselves and trying to be better than someone else. Stop comparing what we don't have or what we do have. But rest in who we are. That if you are a believer in Jesus, you have put your faith in Him, recognize your need for Him this morning, that He says you're His. That you're His. And, and this morning, I pray that if you haven't, if you haven't put your faith in that, that truth, that you would do that this morning. The Bible says, believe and confess and you'll be saved. And I pray this morning that you would rest in that reminding yourselves of the truth of God's word. And that you would be stepping into the life, the walking faithfully into the places that he's called you to. Church, I'd ask you to bow your head with me as we pray really quick and we finish up. That we would not allow corruptive comparisons to draw us away from the faithful living that God has called us to that we would begin to actively step into the places that Christ has called us to, the life that He wants us to be in as the husband, the father, the mother, the wife, the individual, the man, the woman, whatever it is, wherever you're at. I pray this morning we just take this moment as we pray, we just seek the Lord. God, push from me corruptive comparison. Help me to walk with humility, seeking constructive comparison, God. Comparison that motivates me, comparison that challenges me, not comparison that neutralizes me, not comparison that shames me, not comparison that guilts me, but comparison that empowers me. We only can find that constructive comparison in the midst of our trials and our difficulties and our hardships when we are faithfully dependent on the saving work of Jesus in our life. God, I pray that we would constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Lord, we just come to you this morning, God, and we just ask you. God, draw us away from corruptive comparisons. God, draw us away from measuring ourselves up next to each other in negative ways, trying to one-up each other, be better than each other. God, let us rest in your faithfulness. God, let us build our life on you and our identification of who we are in you. God, remind us of the truths of your word. Lord, allow us to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, be serving each other, loving each other, encouraging each other, and following your example. The example of worshiping a holy God passionately and loving people intentionally. God, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you and who you are and what you've called us to so that we could stop living living in captivity to the comparisons of the world and the people around us. God, just walk in the love and the grace and the mercy you've called us to. 
Father our God, I pray we surrender ourselves, we surrender our pride to you this morning, God, and we just walk in humility as we step out of here, drawing other people to you and who you are. Father God, we thank you. God, I just ask that you would speak to us beyond these moments. In your faithful name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.